You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Through the magic of podcasting, Magic podcasting, Ed. Uh, we are doing this show uh, in two different locations, but hopefully it sounds like we're in the exact same room. I am in Indiana at beautiful Lake Manitow in Rochester, Indiana at the family lake house. You are not. You're you're in no, some miserable I'm, place. I am. Uh, I'm, I'm at my 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 regular day job. It's where I'm at in lovely lovely Illinois. I've started my holiday weekend. You're looking forward to starting your holiday weekend. I am looking forward to starting my holiday weekend. But you know what? You know what brings us together in addition to the magic of the internet, Chris? It's White Sox and beer. So I know. I know. Let's, let's do that. Let's, let's do that for sure. All right. And let, let's have Jordan Lozowski join us on that trip too, shall we? We're going to have him on. And, and, and just, just so everybody knows, the, I'm not up here early because I'm lazy. I'm up here because a squirrel ate through the fiber optic cable to the house and we lost internet like three days ago. And it turns out this is a real thing that happens. So a squirrel, like the technician comes over, he goes, uh, about 800 feet from the house, uh, it looks like uh, a squirrel ate your 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 cable. I'm like, you, you what? He's like, yeah, just just chewed right through the thing. That's definitely a squirrel. I'm like, this happens? They're like, yeah. I'm like, how long till it get fixed? He's like, two to three days. So the the my folks' lake cottage has internet, and I'm like, kids, we're going to the lake a couple days early. So I brought the whole studio here, and you know I've got the I've got a big giant beer fridge, and I, I intend to party this weekend. I intend to celebrate America, all right. And I also intend to celebrate something we've been clamoring for, and that is the addition of Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger. And remember, this is all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Go to FamilyDry.com right now or after the show, and check out all the things that they do. They take care of your crawl spaces, bowing walls. You got concrete that's all out of whack. They will fix that. They put in drain tile systems. They do gutter services, yard drainage solutions, window wells, some pump solutions, so much they can do, and they take money off. If you mention socks in the basement, familydry.com, or give them a call at 708-330-4466. Who are you more excited about? Gavin Sheets or Jake Berger? Because I'm leaning towards Berger, man. I was excited Sheets came up, but when you look at what Jake Berger went through and then you look at what he's been doing down in AAA, I mean, just compare him to the hype for Andrew Vaughn. They're both very early in the first round draft picks. Berger was number 11 overall when he was drafted. He clearly has the pedigree to do something great up here. He can hit, and he, he went out there this year and I want to say about 47 games. Yeah, that's what he has. 47 games. And he hits 322 with a 368 on base percentage, slugs 596 for a 964 OPS in triple A. His splits before we thought just a left-handed, you know, pitcher guy. Like he, he's gonna go up against lefties, maybe not so much against yeah, righties. He's that righty platoon, the short side of the platoon, as they say. Right, but now in the last couple of weeks, he's mashing righties against lefties, 365. With a 1257 OPS against righties, 303 with an 836 OPS. You know, it's a shame it's because Moncada hurts his hand, but luckily he'll be back in a few days. 
but that seems to have triggered him coming up. Rick Hahn saying that Chris Getz pushed for him to be sent to the Major League Club. Maybe Chris Getz listens to this podcast. We've been yelling about it for weeks now. Are you more pumped for Burger or Sheets? I, I was fairly pumped for Sheets coming up because he was just such a natural solution to what was going on, right? He's the left-handed bat. He's a left-handed power hitter. Uh, he was hitting righties very well. He's not great against lefties. Yeah, that's okay. You know, we've got right-handed bats. I am not impressed by Gavin Sheets, the outfielder. That was a concern. Oh, God, he's a butcher. <laughs> I, 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 I think I likened him to he's Aloy Jimenez without the athleticism to get himself hurt. But <laughs> it's, it's not pretty with Gavin in the outfield. But I, I'm glad he's here. But I am very, very excited to see Jake Berger and what he can do. If for no other reason than one, like you said, the pedigree is there. He was a high draft pick with the expectation that he was going to be a very good major league hitter someday when he was drafted. It's a, it's a someday. And all these awful injuries, the career is completely derailed after 2017. And like Vaughn, uh, not many games above A ball up until this year. So, yeah, you know, if you're going to draw that comparison – we were excited in March about the idea that Andrew Vaughn was going to come up here and he was going to be the DH. Now we're excited about the fact that he's a viable, actually pretty good major league outfielder. So if you're excited about that, yeah, absolutely be pumped about Jake Berger. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a fantastic story, and he's been raking, raking in AAA. And he is the kind of guy that, if you're going to rely on rookies, having somebody like Berger come up who's doing well against both righties and lefties is just generally hitting very well, is getting on base, is slugging at AAA. It's the kind of guy that can come up and stabilize a hole in the lineup without necessarily the need for going out and overpaying for somebody. And I'm not saying that Berger is going to be a great second baseman. I'm not saying that Berger is necessarily going to be up the entirety of the rest of the season once Moncada's hand is healed. Uh, but it's pretty telling that they sent your mean Mercedes down you could see Jake Berger and Gavin Sheets spend some time at DH going forward, too. Yeah, I think you're going to see both these guys up here for a little while. Your mean's got some stuff to work out, and he's not as versatile. Like, what position does he really play? He plays a very unaware backup catcher. He got the one inning the other night with Jose Ruiz, and he was they were laughing on the telecast because uh, on that one pop-up, back to the screen, his initial reaction was to reach back for another ball before... Ruiz points is like, it's still in the air, dude. You know, and then he goes, hey, you know, he he made the catch, which is great, but and he had a laugh about it. But frankly, I looked at that and I'm like, well, that doesn't give me any real reason to think that he's going to be able to do what Zach Collins has done as a backup catcher. No, no. In fact, I, I really, I've enjoyed watching Collins behind the plate and I've enjoyed watching him hit the ball and I've enjoyed watching him come along. I mean, you have a lot of guys on this team that really still we haven't found out exactly what they are yet because they're young and they're still getting those those initial major league at bats that you need to collect over the first couple of years to figure out exactly what a guy is. I'm I've really enjoyed watching Zach Collins play behind the plate. He's a much better catcher than I thought he was gonna be. I mean, the work that he's put in back there, there are times when I can understand the want to put him back there, you know, because if I'm Tony, I might be sitting there looking at it going, huh, you know. I kind of trust Zach's defense maybe more than than a you know a, a slightly sore Yaz Grandal right now you know if his knees barking at him. I was worried when I started hearing that for Eduardo Escobar 
the price might have been burger and Collins. I didn't like that. I think I already talked oh, about that on the a, last that's show. That's way too expensive for, for Escobar. And the Sox have backed off. There's a lot of chatter over the last couple of days. I want to say it started with Scott Merkin basically coming out and saying, and I love trying to interpret what Scott tweets because we've had Scott on so many times on this show. Merk is great yeah. about coming on Sox in the basement. But I, I've brought this up with him even on the show before. Like you work for MLB.com, like you're around, you have access that most of us don't have. And almost through osmosis, you hearing things kind of almost like I can kind of tell what the feeling in the room is over there at 35th and Shields based upon the way that he starts talking. And when he started talking about this team may not need to add right away. And I, I, I'm just kind of paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, but like, you know, they are going to get a and they are going to get, uh, you know, Luis Robert and they're going to be, those are big additions right there. And then you see John Heyman come out, I think within 12 hours after that saying how other teams jumped in on Escobar and the Sox are not really uh, as high on pushing for it. They're almost like backing off a little bit. And you're seeing all these people keep saying the same thing over and over again. Well, you know, adding Jimenez and adding Robert, nobody's going to be able to add those two guys. I don't think they're not going to make a move, but they're not as urgent right now. I think that's very clear over the last couple of days. And I want to thank Josh Donaldson a little bit for the moxie this team got back before we get to Jordan Lazowski. Yeah. Because Josh Donaldson being a tool. As he does, apparently, according to Liam Hendricks, that's just who he is and what he does, whether he's on the other team or on your team. He is a grade A tool. He's probably the kind of guy you love to have on your team and you hate him if he's playing against you. Kind of like how A.J. Pruszynski was. But we have to deal with him. No, actually, I think according to Hendricks, he's a guy that you like having on the field. But if he could just come and go without ever actually being in the locker room, <laughs> that would have made Liam happy. That's how I read Liam's comments anyway. Well, let me tell you something. Him going to to have words with Lucas Giolito in the parking lot after game one of that series, uh, I think led to a team that got so angry. And Yasmani Grandal, I think, was the angriest based upon the way he would hit and then stare at Donaldson as he would round the bases after all of his yes. home runs in that series. like. He woke that team up, and you heard several of them say that after that series. We were playing a little flat. We got woken up because yeah, he woke up the White Sox. And I want to say thank you. Thank you, Josh. You and your your bleach blonde hair with your beard that doesn't match it in any way whatsoever. Uh, you who just can't keep your mouth shut, who fired up a team that was lackadaisical. Your team should have come in and maybe giving yourself hope. What if the Twins take two out of three there? They would clearly be in third place. They'd be maybe in single digits or just outside of double digits away, and they might have still had hope. There's no more hope. You open your mouth, we stepped on your neck, and we broke it. And, and I want to say thank you because now this team is awake. Before we talk to Jordan Lazowski, I want to remind everybody that Cork and Kerry has two locations. One is at the park. But the other one, the original, is in Beverly, 10614 Southwestern Avenue. It is a place to check out when you are down in the Beverly Morgan Park area. 20 years in business. They are Chicago's favorite Irish pub. Check them out on Western Avenue with over 20 beers on tap and 40 different bottled or canned beers, private event rooms, all the way up to 300 persons can be put in just one area, and that's their beautiful beer garden. If you're looking to book a party or if you're looking for a place that is a traditional 
Irish pub with great people there. Go to Cork and Carry in Beverly at 10614 Southwestern Avenue. Check them out at corkandcarrybeverly.com. Joining me on the phone line right now, love having him on the show. Very intelligent guy. And I got to be honest with you, Jordan Lazowski of Sox on 35th. We have a ranking thing here where we can see the most downloaded episodes in the history of Sox in the Basement. And while every month gets bigger here, certain shows stand out. And we got a massive response. One of our top 10 shows of all time now is the last time you were on explaining to White Sox fans the importance of Yaz. How does that make you feel? I mean, at that point, it just means, you know, you got the right people listening. You love to hear that, at least. At least people are uh, interested and intrigued, and I don't know, maybe they think they're smarter than I think I am, which is a good thing. Do you feel vindicated <laughs> the way that uh, the way that Yaz has started to hit now? I mean, Grandal's, I mean, he was already getting on base, and he was already producing, but, like, people looked at that average, and now you see how he really offensively has probably put this team on his back over the last week or so. I mean, he he was like, to me, the most feared guy in their lineup, I think, over the last couple of weeks. Do you, do you feel a little vindicated? Because I know you were beating that drum all year long. You know, a little vindication, but I, I wasn't standing alone. The Asmani Grandal fans, the Asmani Grandal movement, that was always pretty strong, but they needed it. They needed someone to step up, and especially as even your regulars like Moncada and Abreu were struggling all through June. It, they, they needed somebody to help step up. And I'm glad it could be someone that not many fans were too high on at many points during the year for some good reason. But it, but it was very nice to see that it just happened to be him at the end of the day. So one of the reasons I want to talk to you, I want to talk about the importance of, of lineup construction because we have a team right now that is dealing with an awful lot of injuries. I mean, for crying out loud, Yohan Moncada slides into a base. All of a sudden, he's got another injury. His shoulder was barking at him last week. We're still waiting on Robert. We're still waiting on Aloy, even though we're getting good news about those guys. And, And we have to find guys that can come up and hit, and you can put together players now in platoon situations. Jake Berger coming up, he's gonna hit lefties. He may struggle against righties. Gavin Sheets hits righties. He may struggle a little bit against lefties. There's a lot of mixing and matching. Uh, can you talk a little bit about roster construction and what you think the White Sox have to do here in the next month in terms of moving personnel around from game to game? Yeah, this is an interesting topic because, number one, usually with competing teams, teams that are pretty set to try and go win a division and then some, you don't worry too much about lineup construction. It kind of all works itself out. But at, at this juncture for the White Sox, not only do you have a ton of injured guys, but the replacements for them are pretty platoon heavy. Brian Goodwin's a good example. You brought up both Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger. These are guys, Adam Eaton even, since he's on the return, these are guys who very clearly hit better against either left-handers or right-handers than they do the opposite handedness. And I, again, with 90% of competing teams, you can throw your best nine guys out in whatever order you want. It doesn't really matter. This is not the case with the White Sox. So it, it does matter whether or not you put Gavin Sheets in the lineup against the lefty or righty or Jake Berger in the lineup against the lefty or the righty. Larissa's biggest job right now is to play those platoon matches as best he can. Um, and, and I think because so many of the splits are so clear cut, like, Brian Goodwin is mashing everybody right-handed and has maybe two hits against left-handers. Like because the, the splits are so drastic, I, I think it makes it his job easier on him. But it makes the job all the more important when you have a team 
that is missing his top guys and has a bunch of platoon-type players filling in for them. Now, Yermin Mercedes had been falling off. I think every White Sox fan saw that. He was still hitting, at least he could get a hit, it seemed like, every once in a while against some left-handed pitching. But with Jake Berger coming up, he got sent back down. Probably because Berger can hit lefties and, and they're figuring, like, if we're going to have to use your min as a platoon guy, we have too many platoon guys. Is that pretty much what happened here? It, it's a numbers game at the end of the day. You're not ready because you're going through so many injuries. You're not ready to DFA, DFA guys yet. Um, the, the roster crunch isn't that tight. And you brought up a good point. You know, Jake Berger is going to have to play third base for the Sox, at least in the Detroit series. And if he plays further than that, we know he is a stronger bet against left-handed pitching. So take that combined with Mercedes struggles and maybe you just need to clear your head, go back to AAA, and we happen to have the reinforcements right now for you to be able to do that. They didn't have that back in April. They kind of have that now. Uh, so, so it's kind of taking advantage of uh, um, more advantageous situation. I think the White Sox thought they would have had uh, to, to give Mercedes a chance, go back, clear your head, straighten things out, and, and let's go from there. Do you have optimal lineups that you figured out for this team versus lefties and righties? I saw you send a tweet out the other day, and I just feel like when something happens, you just sit there right away. You like you grab a piece of paper and you start jotting down like, well, looking at their stats and how they hit and looking at their metrics and you take a deep dive into the numbers. I, I know you, Jordan. You, you, <laughs> you kind of have in your head, these are the guys that I'd be starting and this is where I'd be pretty much putting them somewhere in the lineup here uh, against lefties. These are the guys I would, I would go with with righties. Do you have an idea, anything you could share with us, what you think would be uh, something Tony La Russa should be doing here in the next couple of weeks? I do. I think, you know, again, it does matter left-hander versus right-hander. I think either way you're going to have Anderson leading off. Um, you'll have some combination of Mendick and Garcia towards the bottom of the lineup. Abreu, Grandal, and Vaughn are probably going to make up the middle of your lineup, and now it just becomes uh, the, the platoon changes from there. So, like, against right-handers, I'd still probably have Adam Eaton back second. I think for as long as I've been beating the Yasmani Grandal back second drum, I uh, this team doesn't have enough pop in the middle of the lineup to afford him the ability to just get on base. And having just a Brayu to hit him in after him is not enough for this team. Um, other guys, Vaughn, I would probably hit second against, against left-handers. I think Vaughn is another guy with pretty drastic split still, though he's been better against righties. He, he's still very much a left masher. Um, so I'd say Anderson, Eaton, Abreu, Grandal, Goodwin, Vaughn, and then either Schutz or Collins, followed by Berger, and then either Mendick or Garcia against righties. And then against lefties, Anderson, Vaughn, Abreu, Grandal, Berger, Eaton, Garcia, Hamilton, Mendick. I think you're, you're going to have to bat one lefty um, between Goodwin and Eaton in the outfield. Against the lefty, and I'm taking Eaton for now, I think it very clearly could shift to Goodwin very quickly. Um, but for as much as some things stay the same, some things differ. And I think that's where the optimal line of construction comes into play, knowing your guy at the end of the day. And you obviously feel like Eaton was dealing with some sort of injury because I've written him off, and you've got him in both lineups. I do. I think... It might have been just a flash in the pan three weeks to start the year. I think it's at least worth giving him the at-bats against pretty subpar teams to figure out if he's still anything there because we've talked about it a lot already. 
roster construction and some of the games you're going to have to play with some of your guys coming back, those games are going to start real quick. And you need to know whether or not Adam Eaton has anything left in the tank before you DFA him. It's more, it's a tryout of sorts, mostly because he's not someone you can just option down. So if you DFA Eaton, you got to be really sure because odds are another team picks him up and now you just lost a little piece of depth. But it's a man, it's a warm body in the outfield for a team that has struggled to find those. Um, if he can replicate anything like his first three weeks of the season, you're getting some value out of him. If not, feel free to cut him as some of your big boppers come back. All right, last question. I got to ask you this. How necessary is it for this team to go out and pick up another bat before the trade deadline? Because I'm seeing little things that make me feel like the organization is it. They're either trying to play strategy games and acting like, hey, we're good. We can wait. We don't need anybody. We can go with the guys we have. We've got depth from AAA. And this is all negotiating tactic. Or they really are backing off the idea of getting somebody because the price is too high. How important do you think it is, personally, that they go add another bat before the deadline? I think it's pretty freaking important. I think we have seen guys like Mercedes and Eaton and Goodwin and everyone kind of contribute in these two weeks, three weeks stints and then fall off a cliff shortly after. I, I think we need to be careful saying, Oh, Gavin Sheets is the answer. Jake Berger's the answer. I think if you can get two weeks of these guys mashing and maybe one of those nice trades you're trying to pull off a team's like, okay, I'll take Berger as like a high upside risk type guy, some throw in a deal versus they might have not been willing two weeks before. Like that's what this period is. It's a negotiation strategy of sorts and saying, fine, we can handle it internally. We'll be fine. But also putting your money, putting your money where your mouth is to a certain degree um, by actually playing those guys. I, I would have a very hard time believing the Sox don't do something at the deadline. Um, how how big of an impact it might be is going to be very much up to what the market looks like. But I'd be very surprised if they didn't do anything. Jordan Lazowski is from Sox on 35th and also Diamond Digest. You can follow him at jlazowski14 on the Twitter or just check out those, uh, those fine publications. Jordan, thanks so much for jumping on, and we'll talk with you soon. Oh, absolutely. Thanks so much, Chris. Always a pleasure. Well, there weren't no sandy beaches or palms swaying in the breeze. No need to retrace Lewis and Clark or sail the seven seas. Forget about the imports. We're brewing it right here. Just look for the bridges and that great Blue Island beer. Blue Island beer. Blue Island beer. We are true to the craft. Let me be absolutely clear. Blue Island beer. Blue Island beer. Let's all pour another round and drink Blue Island beer. There are many breweries in Chicago, but only one of them has a song like that, and we want to welcome our brand new official brewery of socks in the basement, and that is the Blue Island Beer Company. Uh, they are located out in Blue Island, of course. They make a great selection of beers, and they have their very own theme song, as you can hear in the background yeah. right now. Uh, yeah, they're at uh, 13357 Old Western Road. If you're going... Uh, you know, down Western Avenue 
and you go over the bridges. There's a bunch of bridges right there in, in Blue Island, and the brewery is like kind of tucked in off to the side where Old Western Road runs through like the very old timey part of uh, of Blue Island, and then connects back with the main drag. It's right on the Dixie Highway Brewery Trail. It is one of the founding members of that trail, and they have great beers and great fun there. Coming up after this weekend on Sunday, July the 11th, go out there and join them from 3 to 6 p.m. for Live on the Patio Chain Station. That is a bluegrass band. Uh, They are always having events over there, and they have some great beers, some of their newest ones that they have out there. Hello Get Lost is a bourbon barrel-aged old ale, which is spectacular and will knock you right on your butt. And they also have their new one, Sun Standard, which is a passion fruit wheat ale. And you can also find a lot of their beers uh, the massive political corruption is like one of their staples. You can find that in binnies. And I want to say that you can pick up some of them in the ballpark in the craft cave. So, uh, check out blue Island beer company. If you have not, uh, once again, one thirty-three fifty-five old Western Avenue in blue Island. So what did you think about the lineup construction thing with Jordan Lozowski? Do you, do you have a lineup or what, what who do you want to see in there specifically in certain situations? Well, I mean, I think until proven otherwise, you have to run with sheets against righties as much as you can, right? Because everybody else is struggling. You don't have Jake Lamb. Billy Hamilton's hitting from the right side only. So, you know, I'm, in a way, you know, it's kind of sad to see your mean go down because he was such a fun little story at the start of the year. But this is what Sheets was brought up here to do. So I want to see a lot of Gavin Sheets. But what I don't want to necessarily see is... Tony have to stick with, say, strict platoons all over the place. Uh, you know, I, I I like the idea, for example, of Brian Goodwin being in a lot against righties as well. But if there's a lefty up there, uh, you know, that, that frankly eats right-handers, I don't want to see Billy Hamilton in there in place of whether it's Goodwin or somebody else because maybe that's something where, you know, Billy's not going to be any any better. And, and since he's still hurt a little bit and he's still kind of learning how to not be a switch hitter, um, you know, I, I think you could see stuff like that. The other thing I don't really want to see a lot of is uh, Adam Eaton unless, you know, he's being showcased for something else. I, you know, I know you got to figure out what he is, and I know we're going to see him, but um, I don't necessarily want to see them bring up guys that are doing well and then sit them for a guy that was not doing well. I'll tell you this about the lineup. I'm very confident that my manager knows who to put in there. I was I was worried about how he was putting guys in the games early on in the season. I feel like he's been a little bit late in making some adjustments. But when you look at what this team is and you look at what this team has and then you look at where this team is in the standings, I think that he is going to be right more than he is wrong in terms of who he puts in there. And I think he's actually doing a very good job of making sure these guys have confidence in themselves. Like, Gavin Sheets up for a couple of days. He puts him in the two spot, and his quote is, that's where I like to keep my most dangerous hitter. I mean, Gavin Sheets is like, that's right. Yeah, yeah I'm a dangerous hitter, right? I mean, like, that, that's, that's right. going to pump him up. dangerous, man. I'm dangerous. Right. And then and then I heard the other day he was doing pregame with Len Casper. And if you were listening really closely as he was going through his lineup, he he mentioned something that made me believe that Tim Anderson has come to him and kind of said, I can't help the team in the leadoff spot. Because he he makes this comment of, you know, Tim thinks that all he is is the setup guy up there, and I'm trying to explain to him that this guy and this guy in the lineup, against this pitcher, he's going to have a chance to knock in runs. 
And that night, I think, I think Anderson had two RBI because guys were getting out in front of him. Like, I really think there's an awful lot of thought there, but there's also an awful lot of pumping up the guys in his lineup. He, he is saying things like, with this lineup, we're dangerous. Like, he's not letting them believe that just because we have these injuries, we're not good. He's not letting them believe that they're just supposed to tread water until Jimenez gets back and Robert. And he's doing the right things in there, and he's pulling the right levers more often than not. So I have a lot of confidence in him right now. So wherever it gets set up, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. You know, in two weeks, you might hear me say something completely different. But he's earned at least the benefit of the doubt, I believe, with White Sox fans in terms of how he's setting up his lineup. It may not be exactly what you would have done, but you can't argue with the fact that the guy's winning baseball games with basically a triple-A team. With I mean, he's got some nights here over the last couple of weeks. We've had, what, three major leaguers out of the nine hitters? Three actual major leaguers, in my opinion. Yeah. Out of the nine hitters that he's had, and he's finding a way to win games. So you, you can't... I, 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 people like to get angry with him because they didn't like the hire, and I get that. I didn't like the way he was hired, but I... I, I can't imagine Ricky Renteria doing this. Do you think so? After after the seasons that we watched the last couple, do you think he would have been able to figure all this out? Do you think he would have been able to figure all this out? Because he was a paint-by-numbers lineup guy. Yeah, no, Ricky Ricky had guys pigeonholed in specific places. And we talked about this early in my run on the show where it's going to take some time for Tony La Russa. He's an, he is, yes, he's an old manager, but he is new to this team. And it's going to take him a while to figure out guys' strengths, what buttons to push, you know, how to pump them up, how to give them confidence, where they fit in the lineup and all that stuff. That was all going to happen. And then now turn around and take into account exactly what we were talking about. How many different lineups has he had to go through? How many different guys has he had to try and work in and out of the lineup? You know, at, at, at various points, we've been talking about a lineup where out of the nine hitters, there's at least three rookies in at all time. I mean, we started the season that way with Vaughn, Madrigal, and, and Mercedes, and now you can throw in Gavin Sheets being put into that situation. You can throw in Zach Collins when he's starting. He's basically a rookie. I know he's had some cups of coffee. But you've got these guys that, that don't have track records even in the majors or have very limited track records like Danny Mendick or have track records that are so spotty and poor that they were on the scrap heap like Jake Lamb and Billy Hamilton – and he's still figuring out where to put him in. So the idea that Tony, there's no way Tony knows what to do with this lineup. I think if you're if you're banging that drum, you've just decided you're a, a Tony Larusa hater, and that's fine, you know. But the reality is, is that yeah, I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt, and I think it's really at this point, if the results are there, then that means he's pushing the right buttons. If the results go south and he continues to stubbornly stick to it the way we saw Renteria do so many times, then the criticism will be warranted. If you're trying to figure out when Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert are returning, a little bit of a hint dropped by Rick Hahn. He said that when they start their rehabs, then we're looking at about 20 days. So the Sox are figuring around 20 days after they start their rehab assignments. If you count down Jimenez's, he should be starting someplace by Monday, right? If you look at the four weeks of baseball activities before his rehab assignment, he should be in a lineup Sunday or Monday. Next week, somewhere, yeah. Before we talk again, he should be playing. And then we got 20 days after that. And then he could come up. So I think the August 1st thing is the most conservative thing. He could be up before the trade deadline. 
which would be really interesting when you add him in. Now he's going to have to get going. I don't know if he's going to be off like a shot, and I don't want to see him in the outfield because he scares the hell out of me. What's the point of waiting all this time and he hurts himself three games in? Put him at DH. I don't want to see him out there in the field ever, okay? But we'll be watching for that, and then Robert, there's no way I think we enter September without him in the lineup. They're blowing off fireworks here in North Central Indiana, Ed. You can hear it in the background. These, these people out here, man, they'll just fire off half sticks of dynamite in the air. They just like they just like the stick, throw it in the it's air. Just and stuff flying everywhere. There's just explosions going off. It's you know, <laughs> I mean, like or the ramparts you're watching. Oh yeah, I mean like uh, the pontoons are the out. The dawn's and, really light. Yeah, and they got buckets of dynamite out here. So I, I got to take shelter. <laughs> uh, have a great weekend. Hopefully we keep the winning going. And uh, I, I, I really want to see now the next bit of news is uh, is Aloy Jimenez uh, playing his first rehab start. And immediately hitting a 530-foot home run, my friends. Don't let him play the field out there. Please no, don't let him play the field. don't let him play the field. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.